Okay, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you should have your Bible always with you when we do our studies. We're in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to go through the entire book of Hebrews in this series. Um, Hebrews is an excellent, excellent, fantastic book of the New Testament. The thing about Hebrews is we're not really sure when it was written or composed. Uh, it could be between 60 and 70 AD, but we're not sure. It doesn't really matter. And it's the same thing for the authorship. There are uh, theologians and scholars and, and theological professors and all of these men who try to attempt to tell you, oh, Paul wrote it, or Paul didn't write it, or we don't know who wrote it. You know what? If God wanted us to know who wrote this book of Hebrews, he would have allowed the author to write their name, but we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. And we know that holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, really, the author of Hebrews, just as it is every other book and every word of the Bible, God authored it. God wrote the book. And he writes it to you and I, as he does all the other books. He writes it to you and I. Well, people will say, yeah, but this was written to Matthew, or this was... You know what? Forget that. That may be an historical context of it, but the truth of the matter is that every book of the Bible and every word was written for you, those of you and myself who have a relationship with God, who know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The book was written for us. So to debate over who wrote Hebrews or who didn't write Hebrews or Paul did or Paul didn't makes no sense. It's a waste of time. It's not necessary. We need to focus on the words in the books. We need to focus on the texts and on the doctrines that are in there so that we might better live a spiritual life. I say this all the time and I'll say it again. Knowing whether Paul wrote Hebrews or not what spiritual benefit does that give to you? How do you grow in your Christian life? How do you draw closer to God? How are you able to closely walk with the Lord Jesus Christ by knowing whether Paul wrote Hebrews or not? It doesn't matter. Forget it. Who cares? All it is is a badge for a theologian or a biblical scholar to say, I know who wrote it. Oh, I discovered who wrote it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't give you any spiritual benefit whatsoever. So we want to go into the book of Hebrews here. And we're going to do the first chapter today. And a uh, very wonderful book, like I said, very a lot of benefits, a lot of explanation. Great things are in this book. The first chapter of Hebrews basically goes into the fact that it introduces us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's perspective of who Jesus is what he's done for us, how he's much better than angels, and so on. How he is compared and that nothing can compare to him. And there's some very beautiful and interesting things in the book of Hebrews, that, especially in this first chapter that we're going to discover that I think you will benefit from. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible reads, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers, 
by the prophets. In this very first verse, we see at sundry times and in diverse manners. All that means is simply in different times and in, and in various or in, um, many different ways, God spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Well, what is that? All of the Old New Testament. You go back and you look. When he's talking about here unto the fathers by the prophets, he's talking about all the teachings of the Old Testament. That's how God spoke to men back in the Old Testament. He spoke to them by the prophets. There was very much activity going on as we read in the, in the Old Testament of a lot of things that happened that God designed so that the prophets could come and speak to the fathers or speak to the brethren in that day. This is how he spoke. This is how he communicated what he wanted his believers in him to know by the prophets. Now notice in verse two, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom he also made the worlds. Now you notice that he says, God and there's a comma, and it says, who in different times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, comma. You can, then he picks it up in verse 2. So it could have been God hath in these last days, but that information that's added there is to let us know in the Old Testament and time past, this is how God spoke to his people, to the fathers by the prophets, in different ways and in different manner. Now he says, hath in these last days. Are we living in the last days? Absolutely. Was it the last days when the book of Hebrews was being written? They believe so, absolutely. The last days just means the last days. It means that after Jesus, there is no other prophet that comes to tell us how to get to God. There is no other prophet that comes and says, I'm able to produce salvation for you. Jesus was it. He was the final answer that God had for sin in the world, that Jesus came and did all this. He's the final propitiation for our sins, as First John says. So he says, And hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. Now let me pause here on verse 2 for a minute and say this to you. Many people will say, well, I read the Bible, and I read the New Testament and the Old Testament, and yeah, that's okay, but you know what? My pastor said so-and-so, or this prophet. The Pentecostals and the Charismatics love to have prophets come to the church and say, well, thus saith the Lord, and God told me. You are told right here in verse 2, in these last days hath spoken to us by his Son. There is nobody else in the Old and New Testament that can fit that description except the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that. So when you're talking to people and when you're studying with people or you're um, having interaction with them, the final authority always is the Lord Jesus Christ. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say about a particular subject or action or thought or whatever? That has all been communicated by his approval into the Bible and into especially the New Testament. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the final say, the final authority. If someone comes to you and says, oh, a prophet that says this to me, and, I, and they said that, thus saith the Lord, don't believe it because right here we are told that God spoke to us and speaks to us by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the rest of these verses are going to 
prove that he is much better, plus the fact that this verse is this introduction into the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and withhold upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice verse 3 goes into detail saying that the Lord Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He is the express image of God's person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when Jesus had purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on of on high. Verse 1 tells us that God spoke to the fathers in time past by the prophets. Verse 2 tells us that now Jesus is that final authority that you must listen to. Verse 3 tells us why, because he is very God himself. And verse 3 tells us where it says that he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 3 tells us the reason why Jesus has the authority, the reason why Jesus has the authority is because he suffered and died on the cross. He purged our sins, as it says here. Purged just simply means cleansed or, or gotten rid of, purged out. He, Jesus Christ, purged you, cleansed you, purified you of all your sins. If you don't believe that, then there is a serious problem in your theology. Jesus cleansed you from all, not just some, but all of your sins. He is the propitiation. He's the covering for our sins. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we accept him as our Savior, he washes us and cleanses us from all our sins. He removes all of our sins away from us. All of those things that would hold us guilty in front of the face of God Jesus does that. He purges our sins. There's many that go around that will tell you the Mormon God, the Jehovah God, the Islam God, those will all, ta those will all save you. No, there is one, and that is the Jesus of the Bible that will save us. And this is who God has approved to be the Savior of the world. Verse 4, he says, being made so much better than the angels. Now people say, well, there you go. See, Jesus is a created being. He was created. No, Jesus' body was created the same way our body was created when he was born of a virgin Mary, but not his divinity, not his actual person, his godhood. Being made so much better than angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Inheritance because you can... You only inherit something if you are related to the person who is giving the inheritance. And Jesus inherited it from his father. Verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God says here in verse 5, I never said that to any of the angels. I never said that the angels were his son. He never said that they were, that the angels had been begotten of God. He never said that he, he'll be a father to the, to the angels and they'll be sons to him. No. He said it to Jesus only. You remember in Matthew where Jesus was coming up out of the water after being baptized by John, God came down and a dove descended on him and the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God never said that about anybody else that he was well pleased. 
only Jesus Christ. He is deserving of that. He is deserving of our worship. He is deserving of our praise. He's deserving of our obedience and adoration because he's much more better because he is God in the flesh who delivered us and saved us from our sins. Verse 6, And again, when he bringeth into the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 7, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Notice in verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God. God is talking to Jesus Christ, and he calls him God. You're going to have people that will always say, Jesus never said he was God. God never said Jesus was God. Right here, verse 8. God said to Jesus, thy throne, O God. Jesus is very God himself. Forever and ever thy scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. He says in verse 9, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Notice in verse 9 there he says that he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That should be uh, us as well. We should hate sin, hate iniquity, and hate it to the point where we don't even want to be near it or involved in it. He says, Therefore God thy God hath appointed thee, anointed thee, with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. God acknowledges that Jesus created the world. We know this also from Colossians chapter 1. We find this in verse 15 and 16. Whom is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus Christ created the earth and the world, and by him all things consist. Verse 11, he says, they shall perish, the heavens and the earth. We know this, that he has said that they will burn up with fervent heat. And and, uh, Peter tells us this. He says, they'll perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou, speaking of the Lord Jesus again, are the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So these verses are also declaring, especially in verses 11 and 12, that Jesus exists forever. It says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this backs that up, that he is the same, that he never grows old. He never dies off, never perishes. Oh, the earth and the world, the heavens are going to melt with fervent heat, says the scriptures. 
But God, the Lord Jesus, is forever and ever and ever. Thank God we have a Savior that lasts forever. We have a Savior that doesn't die. We have a Savior that doesn't get old. We have a Savior that is forever. And he's the same, it says, yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. His thoughts and his ways does not change. He's not like the waves of the ocean up and down or like the wind being carried about by whatever's new and trending. No, he's the same forever. And did any, did God ever say to any of the angels, sit at his right hand till he makes their enemies his footstool? No, he said this only to Jesus. He says, are they not all, speaking of the angels, ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? There are angels that go around those that are going to be saved and they make sure that that nothing happens to that individual until that person gets saved because there's a marked time in every person's life who is supposed to be saved will be saved. And those angels protect those individuals until they do become saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first chapter of Hebrews. We're going to end it there. But a very interesting chapter of introducing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not as if we don't know him already, we do. But the powerful truths that are contained in here, that Jesus has all authority. If you get nothing from this chapter, get that Jesus is the final authority in everything in your life. Everything. And get that he purged our sins. Another, it's beautiful how the scriptures continually tell us that Jesus purged us from our sins. Lest we forget, not that we would ever forget, but lest we should forget, Jesus purged, purified us, took away all of our sins. And he made them so much better and that he lasts forever and ever. Take this with you as you go out to live your life remembering that Jesus is the final authority, that he purged all of our sins, and that he lasts forever and ever. He's better than the angels. Don't worship angels. Don't let people tell you that, oh, we should pray to the angels, or we should pray to Michael, or we should pray to Gabriel, or whoever it may be. That's blasphemy, because this chapter says Jesus is better than they. God never said the things that he said to Jesus to angels. Angels are good, but they are not the Lord Jesus Christ. So take that out with you today and learn from this and rejoice that Jesus is our Savior and purged us from our sins.